Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. Tom Rossi is the quintessential entrepreneur and family guy. In the late 90s, he successfully grew a design and development agency in Jacksonville, Florida, until the events of 9-11 put a serious damper on business. From there, he and his team transitioned into a product company where they produce multiple software products, including Buzzsprout, which powers this podcast. We talk about his journey and transition from a consultancy into a product company, working through the tough years, and how to find work that gives you life. If you're interested in work that's more than just a job, I think you'll love this conversation. Without further delay, here's my chat with Tom. Hey, Tom, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, the first time I met you was uh, years ago. You were actually speaking at a less conf. And I remember you got up and, and you gave a talk. And it was one of the few times where I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy like is reading my mind. These are all the things I believe in. And you even gave kind of like a preface afterwards where like that you kind of mishmashed a lot of different ideas from different people together to kind of formulate your presentation. But it was really memorable for me. And it really had a big impact on me at the time. So many years later, I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Thanks. So I always like to start off by giving you kind of an opportunity to talk a little bit about how you got started in business. What made you, you're kind of that quintessential entrepreneur. You've been in business for yourself for a long time. Uh, We've already talked about your bio a little bit, but I'd love for you to kind of give us some insight into what gave you that kick to go, I'm going to, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to take this risk that's called, you know, business ownership and being an entrepreneur. What made you jump off that point and kind of what got you started in the early years? Sure. I don't think I really knew myself as well as I do now. Because now looking back, you're like, it's obvious that you were going to go into business for yourself. Growing up, actually, I was a newspaper boy in your neck of the woods in St. Augustine. I would go up and down the street selling newspapers. Like I didn't have a route. I just sold. So it was whatever you could, whatever you could sold is how much you made. And people would always tell me you're going to be an entrepreneur one day. And I was like, ah, whatever. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be an astronaut. Like that was my (laughs) goal. And I went all the way through college and uh, got out of college, was working at an engineering firm for an aerospace company. And um, this was right around 94, 95, when the internet was really starting to kind of emerge as, man, this is a game changer. Like it changes everything. And I had recently become a Christian and had been involved in ministry and just really wanted to, to figure out how to live a life that was impactful and so those kind of things came together and I was like, okay, I think this is time for me to go do something. And so I quit, I quit my job and started a company that was just a consultancy to help businesses and ministries understand uh, internet technologies. Because at the time, I mean, th- this was AOL was new, right? Like not a lot of people knew anything. And so I was helping all different types of organizations understand how the technology would work and then over time, kind of fell into some niches that we could work with, like building web applications. So we started, we had a group that was building web applications for company. We also had a group of people that were building um, computer telephony applications, you know, call center type applications that were based on internet-based technologies. And um, that's kind of where we evolved into 
and really being a consultancy around those things until about 2001. Uh, 2001, September 11th hit, and it was devastating. It was devastating for our for-profit companies um, that that we worked with. Even they they would freeze their budgets. All the not-for-profits they all froze their budgets. Nobody was spending any money because they didn't know what was going to happen. And at the time, our, our goal was always to work with nonprofits as well. And so we worked with lots of ministries. About 50% of our business was with them. 50% was with for-profits. And the the ministries didn't, it took a long time for them to, to bounce back because even when they did start to free up some assets, their giving was had really been impacted by September 11th. A lot of people were holding on to their money. They weren't giving it away. Or if they were giving it away, they were giving it away to 9-11 type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the for-profit companies, uh, they just didn't. They just didn't bounce back quick enough. So meanwhile, I'm sitting on a staff of, you know, people that I've invested in for years. There's 20 of us. So we got to. I had to keep them busy. <laughs> so we started building a product. We, we built our first product. This company called or product called M Sites. And you know, I I enjoyed it, but I never. I didn't see that as the future of the company. I just saw that as kind of a product. But over time, things just weren't bouncing back, weren't bouncing back. And so as people kind of left naturally, I wasn't backfilling. And meanwhile, this product that we had built started to grow and grow. And next thing you know, I realized, well, wait a minute, there's, a, there's, another, there's another company here. There's another, another way to survive through this, which is being a product company. And that's how we began this transition into building products, M-Sites being our first one. And that was great. Coming from a company that was, you know, the more the more projects you took on, the more projects you had to sell. You know, it was constantly you're hiring people, and so you get that big project. I'll never forget we got you know a million dollar project, first time you ever got anything so big, and you're just the weight of it kind of hits you that well, wait a minute, now I got to go get the next million dollar project after this. Yeah. And uh, and so when M Site started to kind of emerge as a new a new way to run the business. Uh, it was really attractive because it's all recurring revenue. You build a product, you don't have a client demanding, uh, you know, that you keep people on staff that's available for them when they need them, but they're not willing to pay for them until they need them. And, mm-hmm. and then they're getting involved in, you've got some of the best people in the industry, you know, creatively and technically, but then they're kind of hamstrung by the customer who says they want, you know, a purple website or something. and when you were doing your own product, it was a whole different life. And so we kind of, in 2001, made that change and started building products. And around that time, I took on my first partner. His name's Kevin Finn, and he had a great idea for a product called that eventually became our product, Tick. And he also was a big fan. He'd always been a big fan of 37 Signals. And so he turned me on to a lot of their blog material and Getting Real had just kind of come out. And so that dramatically impacted the way that we built products. Kevin and I partnered up and we built Tick, and we were very disciplined with following some of those getting real principles, which was difficult coming from a client services background where the client's always right and you build whatever they want, whereas you know, <laughs> that is not the 37 signals or the base camp way. And so, but we forced ourselves to just, you know, let's just do it exactly the way that they say. Let's you know, get something moving quickly. And that was our next product, um, Tick. And we, we did that for some time. And then we launched another product, Buzzsprout, which is a podcasting application. 
that really came out of our Insights product. What's great about Buzzsprout, for those of you that are listening, is that's actually the product that we use to host this podcast. So if you're listening to this, it's actually being hosted and run off of Buzzsprout, which is a great uh, platform. So thanks for that, too. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so Buzzsprout was actually it was born out of our churches that we were working with with Insights. A lot of the, the people that used our Insights product were churches, and they needed a place to host their sermon audio. And so at the time, nobody was really talking about podcasting the way we talk about it today. We were just looking for a way to host sermon audio to make it easier for them. And when we launched Buzzsprout, you know, that product did really well because it was it was right at the very beginning of um, the kind of this big podcasting movement. I mean, we had people right after we launched it, we had tons of people signing up from like all over the world. And we we're like, what? What are all these people doing? And you go and listen uh, to these to these uh podcast and i'll never forget it was like uh, uh it was it was djs in like these european countries and they would just upload an hour and a half of just beats and uh and so that that kind of showed us though that the the market was much bigger than we originally thought when we, when we started it and so that was our next product was buzzsprout and then let's see then we went and we partnered up with a company that had developed a product called donor tools which we really liked and um and so we've continued to maintain and build on that. We eventually acquired that product and we just launched a new version of Donor Tools about a month ago. Um, and that's really exciting because it was, you know, our most recent. And so we've got to apply all the things that we've learned from other products. Um, that was great. Uh, then we partnered, uh, I took on another partner uh, named Marshall, Marshall Brown, and he had a, a good deal of experience in a physician space that we had kind of danced around a little bit with an earlier product. And uh, we together launched a product called StreamCare. And that is very different. It's to help physicians manage their own uh, in-office pharmacies. And so it's a very different product than the other stuff that we've done, but it was a great experience. And uh, so Kevin Marshall and I now are all three partners in the, the company Higher Pixels. That's the long story. <laughs> that's okay. That's good. I, I, I think it's neat for people to kind of hear the history from you because, you know, the primary thing that this podcast is about is about building a business that lasts. And, you know, you've certainly done that. I mean, your original company lasted, you know, 10 years. You're, you're 20 plus years into the current uh, ventures that you're working on now. And I think that a lot of people out there, you know, it's it's easy to kind of get something off the ground. It's a little bit scary, but but you can kind of get out there and, and you get something going. But then the question is, you know, a year down the road, five down, years down the road, how do you make it? Um, I'd love to unpack a couple of those things that you talked about, though, and kind of rewind a little bit. First, sure. for anybody that's listening and is not familiar with 37 Signals, they changed their company name a while back to Basecamp, which was their primary product. They they had a series of products and uh, ended up narrowing it down and saying, hey, we're just going to work on this one, which was vastly their most popular one. Um, and that's where I've gotten a lot of my early kind of insights and thoughts from Jason Freed and, and, um, and the other guys there. I mean, getting real was huge for me. Even remote was huge, even though now we have a centralized office. Uh, a lot of the ideas from that really affected and shaped me. I'd say that probably the two most influential business writers for me over time have probably been Jason Freed and, and probably Dave Ramsey between the two. And, and so it's neat to kind of hear that come out in, in the things that you guys do, especially being a product company, to look at a company like Basecamp and you can kind of see the success that they've had. And now you guys have successfully made that transition from, you know, creating stuff for other people to creating stuff for yourself. And I think probably one of the most overused terms in entrepreneurship is pivot. But what you kind of did was, was pivot into that different space. But it sounds like it kind of happened 
I mean, almost out of necessity. Absolutely. It was not some genius move like, okay, we need to pivot. Where are we going to pivot? No, it wasn't anything that happened. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. It got, it got really, really bad because I've got this massive payroll, right? And they're all people that you care about, that you've worked with for years. And they know, you know, they know that the, the business is drying up and they know that, that, uh, you know, the writing's on the wall, if things don't, don't start coming through. And I remember getting to the place where I, I just had to throw my hands up and surrender and be like, okay, um, there's nothing I can do, you know, at this point. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer and I, I've always sought God in the business. And I remember seeking him that morning and saying, you know, this is it. Like, okay, if, if something doesn't happen today, like there's only so much more debt I was willing to take on before, you know, I had, I had to do something drastic. Yeah. And it was like this breaking of just, okay. <laughs> like, it, it was me trying to figure out what was the purpose of being in business, right? Because at that point, I felt like an absolute failure. And I remember seeking him and feeling like he, he was saying, like, is, that, is this why you started it? You know, like, did you did you start it so that you'd be around forever? Or did you start it for so you'd make a lot of money? Like, what was it that you did? And and I replayed in my mind all the different things that we'd experienced together as a team and with customers and, you know, the positive impacts that we'd had. And I just had this relief of like, okay, I'm willing to shut it all down and go bag groceries or do whatever I need to do to, to pay off this debt that I've incurred for this business. And uh, that day, I called my biggest competitor in the telephony space, in the, in the call center space. I called him up and I said, look, we're out. You know, we're, we're going to close it down. I said, is there any chance you would be interested in, you know, buying my customer base? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so we ended up putting together a deal that day that covered all the debt that I had acquired and found jobs for all the guys that were in the telephony department in, in the company. And it was so it was definitely a breaking. It was definitely a surrendering. It wasn't something that uh, that I consciously made a, a, this great decision to pivot. It was something I got forced into. Well, I appreciate that transparency. I think the reality is, you know, a lot of people, especially in the world of social media that we live in now, even though that wasn't nearly as prevalent uh, back in those days, it didn't even exist, is that, you know, there's this image that sometimes gets put up of who people are and what they're what they're doing and all these kind of things that just can always seem like, you know, you know, flowers and roses and it's not. And there, there are hard times if anybody that's been in business long enough has been through some really, really tough days. And I think the question that I kind of pumps to my mind in that is as you were experiencing that, it's easy as a leader to feel like a hundred percent of that burden is on your shoulders. And, and, and obviously I think one big thing it sounds like for you is that your faith helps to help sustain you through that. But how did your communication with your team work in that time period? They could obviously tell there wasn't much stuff for them to do all week. Um, but other than that, how did you kind of manage that communication with your team? Uh, I mean, I was as tr- transparent as I could. It was, it was, a uh, it was a difficult time because it's not what they've signed up for, right? If somebody's an employee, uh, they're looking for stability, right? They're not out doing their own thing. And so it was, it, I was as transparent as I could be with everybody based on, you know, how much some of them, you know, they didn't want to know. Like they wanted to just put blinders on and just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But yeah, there was no way, there's no way to to hide it. Um, now I, I did keep everyone busy and that was how we started that product. Um, you know, we got to, we got to do something with our time. And so that's how we started building the product. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when you started, were you, did you have a partner from the very beginning or you brought a partner on after that? It sounded like you brought one on after. I brought one on after that. So, so after we, we had started the M-Sites product and that was doing really well, one of the guys who actually worked for me, Kevin, had gone to work in an ad agency and he, he had called me up or we connected up later and he had said, Hey, you know, I've got an idea for a product. I know M sites is out there. Would you be interested in partnering up and doing something? And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so he and I partnered at that point and began building uh, our next product, which was tick. Cause that's a big transition. I think, I mean, at least in my mind, because I've always been a sole owner. So the idea of, of bringing on a partner later in business is a hard thing to wrap my head around. Although I think as I grow, I could kind of see certain areas where you go, well, these are big areas where there's strengths of somebody else that are not strengths of mine. Maybe it makes sense to bring that person in and let them um, kind of lead the areas that I'm not strong at. But what was that like for you to kind of give up some of that authority and say, hey, I now have a partner in this versus me being the sole final last call for everything? Yeah, that's that's a great question. For me, it was a huge transition of going to a partner and I was really leery of it. The only thing I think, the only advice I would give to somebody, I think having a partner is great. Uh, it's I, I've really enjoyed um, having partners in the business. Um, the only thing I would do is make sure that there is there is some way for a decision to be made. You're never stuck. Uh, like if it's two people, you don't want to have a 50-50. You want to make sure that there's one person that can make a decision. And so now with three of us, two of us can always override the other one. But I would just make sure that you don't find yourself in some kind of stalemate. And I wouldn't jump into a partnership until you really know the person, because in a lot of ways, it's just like marriage. Yeah, absolutely. So in the early days, you know, it's it's easy to wear all the hats because, you know, you're small and as you grow, you have to start handing some of those hats off. Um, So thinking about where you are now with the three partner setup, what's your role look like with the company and how has that changed from, you know, back in the day when you were, you know, running it by yourself and now you've got two other partners. What's your role look like in the company now? Yeah, I think it it's like what you were talking about uh, before of there's things that you like and there's things that you're good at and there's things that other people are good at. And so what we've been able to do is kind of divide up our responsibilities based on those things that we're good at. And typically the things that you're good at are the things that give you life. And so I love the leadership challenges of putting together, you know, programs in the office. I love, um, you know, speaking to people and casting vision Uh, I love, and I love coding. And so those are the things that typically fill my day. Um, And then, you know, Kevin is more of a creative person and he's really good at the um, putting together the, the product plan of where are we going with our products and figuring out a good ways to solve challenges that come up with the products. And um, Marshall comes from that physician space and has a deep understanding of that and uh, numbers and, you know, detailed stuff, uh, being able to dig into things that would be really hard for, for me or for Kevin to be able to do. And so we get to rely on each other in that process. Yeah, I think that's really uh, huge for people. A lot of times it's easy to get caught up in the things we're not good at. And and I really believe in the idea of doubling down on your strengths and saying, hey, these are the things I'm really good at. These are the things I'm a seven and a half on at. I'd like to be a 10 uh, versus these are the things I'm a one at. And I'd like to be a three because there's not a whole lot of difference between a one and a three, but there could be a big difference between a seven and a 10. And I just love the idea of having other people come alongside you who you go, man, this person's really good 
at these things that I'm either not good at or just don't like. Because there might be some things that I'm decent at, but I just hate doing them, um, where somebody else may enjoy that. And I want to bring them alongside and let them, you know, have the things that they're good at and enjoy doing and let them excel in those areas. Yeah. And that's that's key in our partnerships, but it's also key in the people that, that we're hiring. So when we're bringing them into positions, look, I don't want this to be just a job, right? I want to. I want this to be something that you enjoy. I want this to be something that gives you life. And if it if it doesn't, you're probably not a good fit for our team because every one of us loves the job that we're in. I mean, I hope if, if they're being honest with me, but I would hope. Uh, you know, we do everything we can to say, is this a job that gives you life? If it's not, wh- what are the things that are taking away from that? And let's try and figure out where you fit, right? Because we want. The, the majority of your day to be filled with those things that give you life and not the things that suck life you know, like away from you. And uh, that's that's just true for all of us. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I always say I, I don't want people on my team who hate Mondays. Um, you know, granted, we might all prefer to be on the beach with our family and friends, uh, you know, hanging out more than maybe we would be, always be doing work. But at the same time, you know, I, I want to be doing things during the week that I actually look forward to. And I wake up and I'm excited to get back to them. Uh, and I want the same for everybody that is on our team. Uh, I think that's what I love about you. You and I kind of think see eye to eye on those things. Yeah. And it's funny, whenever we do interviews with people, I'll ask him the question. I'll say, you know, tell me about, tell me about those things in your job that give you life. You know, they're talking about there and they, they always look at you with this blank stare. Like, is this a trick question? Like, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. And so then they'll start with whatever the things that they might be good at. And I'm like, yeah, but do they give you life at the end of the day? Do you feel rejuvenated? Do you feel excited? You know, is it, or do you feel like, oh my gosh, just another day at the office? Like that's, those are the things that I want to hear because that's going to help me figure out where you might fit in the company. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I I can see that even when I think about myself, there's things that like I'm pretty good at troubleshooting bugs and figuring out issues that are going on with the project and figuring out where the result of the problem is. But I kind of hate doing that for the most part. Right. But what I really love doing is being in strategy meetings with clients and talking through what they're you know what they're passionate about, what their goals are, how can we help them reach their goals, helping them think about business. Like those are things I love, and it kind of goes back to what you're saying. I love that idea of what gives you life. That's huge. Uh, thinking about hiring specifically, uh, that's an area that's really hard. I mean, at least it has been for me. And I know that for a lot of folks, when you go from like back in the day, I was all by myself, finally hired my first full-time team member. And I, and I messed up the first few times uh, pretty good. And I've really tried to work to get better at that. But what have you done over the years that has helped you kind of improve that process? You talked about some of the questions you ask in interviews, but what else do you do in that process that that you feel like has helped you get better at putting the right people in the right seats. I I would I would plug there's a there's a book called The E Myth which was I think critical when I started the when I started the company I read this book and I remember not totally getting it but over time you realize the truth of it but it's the the entrepreneurial myth that hey I really love building widgets and so I'm going to start a company that builds widgets but as soon as you start a company to build widgets you're no longer building widgets <laughs> now you're running a company and now you're your role changes. And I think that that is a big thing when you're talking about hiring people. As soon as you hired that first person, your your job changed dramatically because no longer are you just doing the things that you're doing. Now you've got this whole other thing on your plate, which is leading and caring for and serving this other person that you've brought onto your team. And so I think that's the that's the big thing. When you talk about growing your team, you have to dedicate the time to not just doing 
uh, somebody's got to be doing it, right? Somebody's got to be spending the time nurturing the team and looking after them and, and figuring out, um, you know, who's healthy and who's not. And what, what do we need to do to make things better for, for people and all those kind of questions. And those won't happen if you're spending all of your day doing the things that you were doing when you were a one-man shop. Yeah, that e-myth book is absolute required reading. I mean, I think it's it's good for anybody that's in business now, but especially for anybody out there that's listening, think, man, I might want to start a business. You should definitely read that book before you do anything because it will give you a different perspective and mindset. Anybody that's listened to the podcast on a, a few different episodes probably heard me mention it before because you know I, I love how he kind of breaks up the idea that most people tend to fall in one of the buckets. They're either an entrepreneur or a manager or a technician. And most of us, to some extent, started as technicians. Whether or not we have skill sets in the entrepreneur or the managerial you know, kind of hats, it definitely made me think about my own role and, and where I want to be and, and made me think about team members as well and, and where they're well, well suited. Yeah. And I think it's part of our regular language, at least with the partners, where we'll talk about how much time are we spending working on the business versus working in the business. And a lot of that is related to people. You know, it's also mission and vision and strategies and stuff like that. But working on the business, a lot of times is is really working on how, how are you handling people? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just being intentional about that, because otherwise, you know, regardless of what industry you're in, it's if you started out as the technician, which a lot of people do, I know I did, it's so easy to get sucked back into just doing the things that need to be done to get a project done or, or whatever it may be. And that's not always in the best long-term interest of the company if you want to grow and last the test of time anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the whole, if, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Like that's just, that's going to kill you. If you won't allow people to be freed up to work and to, to fail, to be able to, to try different things, then you're not really going to grow the team. You, like, not necessarily numerically, but the team itself is not going to grow. They're not going to get better at what they're doing. And so it's, it's hard because, you know, you want to do the, whatever that thing is, you want to do it as, as best as it can be. And, and so you want to constantly step in and correct or, you know, make changes. And that doesn't really help the people that you're leading and serving. Well, I, I think that's totally true. And, and, and what I've had to learn over the years is a lot of times when I thought I was stepping in to help a project, really what I was really doing was was hurting people because I wasn't giving them the same opportunities that I had. And to some extent, that it, that includes the opportunity to fail. And I don't want anybody on my team to fail catastrophically, but you know, in a way that would vastly affect the entire business. But I do want them to have the opportunity to have small failures that they can look back on and go, you know what, you know, let me have some self-correction on this. And then maybe some outside correction too, that we can kind of look back and say, hey, what happened here? How can we make this better next time? But if I come in and kind of try and save the day every time, first of all, I can't. And second of all, you know, I'm taking away that opportunity, you know, to have that learning experience. Yeah. A lot of times too, it's just preference of it's not any better or worse. It's just, you would have done it differently. And that's horrible to institute some kind of policy where everybody has to not only do things that you want them to do, but they need to do them in the way that you want to, to have them done. Like that's just not, that's not good leadership. Yeah. And I don't remember where I heard this, but somewhere I read, they kind of talked about the difference between giving somebody kind of a, a leadership mindset and like a gopher mindset, gopher being go for this, go for that, go for yeah. this. 
And the, the mindset being, you know, there's one person where I'm, I'm giving you a step-by-step exactly how I want something to be done. And there's another where you cast a vision to say, hey, we want the end outcome to look like something like this over here, but there's a hundred different ways to get there. You find the path that's best. And that's been helpful for me to kind of think through over the years too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got people in leadership positions that want gophers and then you've got people who want to be gophers. <laughs> and so you've got to figure out you know, where people are because in our company, we just can't have that. We're not big enough to have somebody who, who can't think for themselves and they need it all mapped out for them. Start here, one, two, three, four. We just can't handle that. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite questions at the end of any meeting is, what am I missing? Because it's easy as you know, the one that has been here the whole time to kind of take the risk of dominating the conversation. I, I heard Simon Sinek gave a talk one time and he was talking about how one of the things we should try and do in a lot of meetings is just not talk for a long time and let everybody else, you know, get through the conversation before we start injecting our opinion on top of it and shutting down all that conversation. Uh, because sometimes we're stifling ideas when we think we're trying to guide the conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. I definitely have that tendency to talk a lot and render a lot of my own opinions. So yeah, me too. I mean, that's you know, that's my that's what I'm really good at, for better or for worse. Right. Uh, a lot of times for worse. I'd like to shift gears just a little bit now. Uh, one of the things as we start to get towards the tail end of a, any podcast, I'd like to talk about work-life balance. I kind of hate that term. I, I like to say it's more like a blender. Some days you need more spinach, some days you need more fruit, uh, but it all gets mixed up regardless. It's it's rarely ever totally balanced. But I know your family is really important to you. I know your faith's really important to you, as it is to me. And I'd love to hear like over the years how you've learned to um, put certain boundaries in place or, or whatever you do that kind of gives you that uh, harmony in life, if you will, of saying, hey, I've got the right ingredients in the soup right now. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we work really hard to make sure that we don't build a company that requires, that, that places demands on people more than 40 hours a week. And so whenever we're building schedules, whenever we're looking at hiring, whenever we're looking even at building features, sometimes we'll talk about building out a feature and we're like, you know what, this is just going to require too much maintenance. It's going to require too much overhead from people. And we're either going to have to add that or hire another person. And so we don't want to build that feature. So I think it's being disciplined to be, to say no to even great opportunities, things that look good, if it's going to consume time. And we intentionally steer clear of talking about dollars because a lot of times that's what kills you is what, oh yeah, but if we just hunker down, man, if we just work, you know, twice as hard for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be able to make X thousands of dollars. And that's just, it's so fleeting, you know, and you have to be disciplined to say, I don't care about that. What I care about is us being healthy as a team. What I care about is us enjoying what we're doing and a compromise here and a compromise there. Next thing you know, you're a totally different company. So I think that's how we do it. I know that early on, I was doing a lot of travel. Now now there's really not a, a big demand for me to travel. But when I was traveling a lot, it kind of came to a head. I remember telling my wife, I gave her veto power. I said, at any point, she could veto a trip. But she just needed to know, like, if you, if you veto it, I'm not going to hold it against you. But it could cost us money. So as long as you're okay with that, like, I trust you. I, I trust you better than I trust me because I'm going to be more wrapped up in the, man, if I just go out of town for this two weeks, I'm going to close this big deal. But I, I trusted her to have that veto power. She never, never actually used it. But I think just her having that ability to speak into my schedule was freeing for her to be able to 
you know, feel that like, well, he cares enough to, to just listen to me. I said, no questions asked. If you tell me not to go, I'm just not going to go. So finding ways like that, I think, to get input from people that are outside of the work that can speak to, man, you look worn out or you look tired. Yeah, I think it's so easy to get in the mindset of, well, we just got to get through this one project. We just got to get to this one, get through this next big thing. I just got to sell this one more deal because I can just think about so many times, you know, in the in years past where I got in that mindset. And then I realized a year later, I was still saying the same things. Yeah. And it was like, this isn't healthy. And it's not, I mean, there were, there were years that went by where I don't think I took a day off. I mean, not completely off where I really didn't work on work. And uh, one of my goals years ago was to get to a point where I could take multiple days off in a row and just not touch the work and, and nothing would break. Like the company mm-hmm. wasn't going to go away. Everybody would still be taken care of. We'd still be holding to our standards. And, you know, I mean, like, for example, this week, I'm, I'm we're taking our oldest son is about to be a teenager. He's turning 13 on Thursday. He doesn't know this yet, but we're taking him on a surprise trip to New York City. We've got five kids. So just to take one of them somewhere like that is pretty special for them. And it will be for us, too. And we'll be gone until, you know, Monday afternoon. And I don't I don't need to touch business while I'm gone. Like the team is good enough to take care of it while I'm gone. They don't need me. But it took a long time to put the things in place so that I could do things like that. You know, it took planning and, and intentionality. And I love that idea of communicating with your spouse and saying, hey, I got to travel a lot in this season. But if there's something here, like you got veto power, I mean, I, I just love that level of communication and expectations being set because there's, there's clarity. And, and a lot of times... Difficulty in any relationship, whether it's business or personal, is just the expectations being, you know, out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, like you said, it's being intentional about what what it is you're doing, right? Like, is it really about the money? Because that's probably not it. But at the time, you can feel like that. Oh, man, if I just close this deal, if I just do this thing. But really, it's you need to be intentional about what what's really important. What's really important is the things that give you life. And those are going to be some of the things that you do at work, but it's mostly going to be your family. It's going to be the people around you, your community, it might be your church, your ministry, the things that you're involved in, your activities. Those are probably the things that are giving you life. And so you should be intentional about that and be disciplined, but it's hard. It's hard because it's so, you know, it's just so attractive to say, oh, well, if we just do this, we just do that. But there'll always be another one right after it. And that's the thing. I mean, it's so easy to get sucked back into that, you know, rat race that is our culture to some extent and being willing to be a little bit counterculture from time to time and step back and go, hey, let me take a little breather here and ask the question, what really does matter? And sometimes it is money. Like sometimes you need money to pay the bills and to feed people and to take care of folks. And that's a real thing. And, um, you know, we wouldn't all be in business if we weren't making money. But um, if that's the sole motivator, it, it often doesn't end up very good. Yeah, and if that's your sole measurement of success, then you're not you're not ever going to be successful. You're not ever going to be happy, right? You're not going to find that in that. Um, yeah, because there's always somebody. There's always the next level. There's always somebody that has more. There's always one more thing. Yeah, I mean, I hear it all the time because you know we're, we build products, and so people with product ideas want to meet and talk about their idea for a product. And when they paint their picture of success, it's always like Facebook. Like, like they have to be a billion dollar company. And I'm thinking, would you be happy with, I don't know, a hundred million dollars? Yeah, I think I'd be happy. Okay. Would you be happy with a million dollars? Like, let's just be honest. Uh, right. So that way we can be intentional about what it is that we really want, you know, to, to get out of this because sometimes you chase something, you don't even know why. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you and I could probably talk all day because I just love uh, hearing your insight and wisdom. It's always helpful to me, uh, but I always uh, got to wrap up the podcast at some point. I like to finish with this question, and it revolves around the idea of how do you intentionally continue to grow yourself as a leader, as a husband, as a father? What tools and kind of techniques and schedules or whatever it may be that do you do on a weekly basis or monthly basis that allow you to, to keep becoming a better leader of the company, keep being a better husband and keep being a better father? Yeah, that's hard. I, I feel like we're in a state of transition right now with our company. You know, we've just moved and we used to be further down the road. Now we're like three minutes from the house. And so I don't even have time. I used to listen to a podcast pretty much once or twice a week on the way to work. Now I don't even get to do that because it's about a three minute ride. But I, I think being involved in community and being involved in uh, a church where there's people that are speaking into your life, not they don't work for you. They don't have a vested interest in one thing or the other. And they're just, you know, they know you as a person, people that you've invested in uh, and they've invested in you having those people in your life. And so being intentional about that community, whether it's a church or whatever that group is, I, I, that's really big for me. So that's something that uh, we've always spent a lot of time investing in. I enjoy reading books. I, I've tried to, you know, you, you hear about these guys that read, you know, whatever they were reading uh, three books a week. And I, I've never been able to do it. And like, I tried, I was like, okay, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to read a business book. I'm going to read this business book. And then I just, I have a hard time, have a hard time doing it, but I do enjoy reading probably a book every month and a half <laughs> where I'll pick a good leadership book. And I typically like leader, leadership books, and so that's one area and, and podcasts. That's, that's really where I, I spend time. Have you read, um, not to like throw out books, but have you read Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, the guy that uh, was part of Pixar? No. That book is so, you have to read that book. It is so good. I'm actually only about three quarters of the way through it right now, but he tells the story of Pixar in the early days and, and through current days and, and how they how they operated and how they transitioned and how the merger with Disney worked and working with Steve Jobs and working with all these. It's just such a cool story. And and he's really transparent about things that worked and didn't work. And, and it it really applies to our industry specifically, but, but really to any industry, especially anybody working in creative space. It's been one of my favorite books lately, as far as kind of getting insight into somebody else's world. That's obviously a a very successful company uh, in Pixar. That's worth the read. Well, let me give a plug for a book that that we actually read as a team called um, Deep Work. And that has really impacted our environment, our work environment of just trying to find ways to help people do deep work and not get interrupted all day long and not, you know, the typical things that happen when you're working in an office. And I think that I think the I can't remember the author's name, but I definitely recommend Deep Work. That That's definitely had an impact. That's uh, of the books that I've read recently. That's probably had the biggest impact on the way that we operate in the office. Yeah, I've not read that, so I definitely uh, will check it out. It's uh, looked it up. It's a guy named Cal Newport. Yeah, uh, so Cal anybody Newport. out there is looking for it's deep work uh, rules for focused success in the distracted world. That definitely sounds like something I could use. Yeah, he's actually he was interviewed on a podcast too. If you if you want the uh, the brief version of it, you can you can just search for for Cal Newport and you'll find an interview with him. There was another book that I read uh, about six months ago called Great by Choice, which I think is great for 
kind of the, the upper levels of vision and understanding how how we're leading our companies and stuff like that. And it's written by the guys that did uh, Good to Great, which was another phenomenal book. But Great by Choice, it, it reads like a story because he's telling you the story of these different companies and how they transitioned through hardships and stuff. And it's really, I, I thought it was a really good book. I definitely will check that out. Tom, any other parting thoughts? If you were to have the chance to speak into a young entrepreneur's life or maybe somebody that's been in a business for a few years and trying to figure out how they're going to grow and keep growing, any last uh, words of encouragement you'd like to give? Well, I, I was thinking about this as we were talking earlier. I would say you don't have to have it all figured out before you start <laughs> because well, it can be overwhelming. If, if I would have a conversation with myself 20 years ago, I'm afraid I would have talked myself out of starting the company, right? Because I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I figured I would just, you know, figure it out. And uh, so I would, I would encourage somebody who's, man, you've got it in you. You want to take risks and you really want the experience. I say, you know, do it. Just you don't have to have answers to all the questions to be able to get started. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. I always appreciate uh, your insight and wisdom and knowledge and experience, and I'm glad to have you here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.